Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. This is Tom Salemi. This is episode 215, and I'll have the chance to uh, talk with one of my OIS faves, Bernard Gunther. Bernard is from Novalik, and we've talked several times on the floor of OIS, but this is actually, to my surprise, the first time we've had Bernard on the podcast, though we had uh, Novalik's CEO, Christian Roski, on the podcast last year. Bernard founded Novalik in 2004. Uh, he married his background in polymers with a unique discovery of the ophthalmology industry. In this podcast, we'll talk about creating a company, funding, and growing a company. Novalik now has two products, two dry eye products in late-stage clinical trials, so it's come a long way, and we'll talk about that as well. Before we start this interview, though, I'd like to remind you that OIS at ASCRS is happening on May 2nd. Novalik will be there, among with hundreds of other leaders in ophthalmology, so you should be there as well. Go to OIS.net to register. Now let's hear how Bernard Gunter, in his words, accidentally found his way into ophthalmology. That's actually an interesting question because by education, I'm a polymer engineer. So I graduated at the University for Applied Sciences in, in Darmstadt, Germany. But uh, right after getting uh, the diploma, I turned by accident, basically, into eye care. So I, I tried. Did you go to the wrong address? How did that work? <laughs> no, actually, it was because of private reasons. My my wife at that point in time, uh, the father-in-law uh, is the is still the owner, uh, together with his brother, of um, a microsurgical instrument company called ah. Goider, located in Heidelberg, Germany. So they are a leading player in Germany and Europe. Um, for microsurgical instruments for ophthalmology and uh, electronic systems for cataract and uh, retinal surgery. So I joined, I got the opportunity to join that company and I did. And uh, so I got in touch uh, with uh, ophthalmology very much on the device side, obviously, for mm -hmm. the first 10 years. And um, then, yeah, that's, that's how life plays. I got in touch with the chemistry professor, uh, which was specialized on fluorine chemistry. Uh, professor Meinert um, is his name. And uh, he, he has founded uh, at that point in time, it was in the late 90s, a small company uh, called Fluorone. It's still existing. And he was looking for investors or acquirers which are interested in uh, so-called uh, vitro retinal endotamponades because the technology provided that opportunity to develop um, endotamponades for complicated retinal detachments. And at, mm -hmm. that, at that point in time, I was in charge at Goiter for as a managing director for marketing and sales. And I was looking for interesting products to, to enlarge our, our product pipeline. And I thought the white retinal endotamponates, that would be a very nice business opportunity to add that to the range of goiter products, yeah, to the instruments, to the FACO machines, etc. Yeah, and so we started talking and uh, finally it ended up uh, that um, goiter under my leadership acquired that company. 
Oh. And so I got in touch for the very first time with that technology, which we call now today, we will come certainly to that ISOL, already in 1998, believe it or not. Yeah. So ISOL was part of this uh, the company you acquired? Yeah, at that point in time, the technology was not called ISOL. It was just um, the chemical name we used, uh, semifluorinated alkanes. But the base technology um, was already the same at that point in time. But nobody thought about eye drops. Just um, use it as a endotamponate for retinal detachment or a so-called vitreous substitute. As you know, the gold standard in vitreous substitutes still is uh, are silicon oils. But mm -hmm. we added another facet to to that uh, silicon oil technology, utilizing semi-fluorinated alkanes to make silicon oils heavier than water to treat inferior retinal detachments more efficient. So that's how it started. Um, I took then over the CEO position at Fluoron. So I got out from Goiter to Fluoron and uh, took over the role of a CEO, introduced a whole bunch of new endotamponates into the European market um, under CE mark, so as medical devices, not as pharmaceutical products, but as, mm -hmm. medi as medical devices. They're still in the market uh, uh, today. And at a certain point in time, that was in the mid 2000s, 2000. 6, 2005, um, we realized that the technology provides more than just making endotamponates out of that. And I talked to a couple of leading ophthalmologists and uh, nature scientists, etc. And so it came to my mind to make eye drops out of it, water-free eye drops, because the technology itself, uh, we talked a couple of times about that, is completely water-free. So it's the only drug delivery technology available globally, which is water-free, at least in eye care. And um, yeah, then we started the first um, experiments and um, it turned out that that's really a superior system to make um, items out of it because... Um, mm. Being water-free, I mean, the question always is arising, okay, water-free, what does that mean in terms of eye drop? Is that really relevant or it's just nice to have? And obviously it is relevant because the physical chemical properties are so much different to all water-based systems, which leads to really um, compelling uh, uh, benefits compared to water systems. So Bernard found a Novalik in 2004, and I asked him how difficult the decision was. I mean, he was at an established company. They weren't huge. Floron and Goida combined had over 200 people, but they were existing. They were established. They were secure. Was he at all adverse to starting a company? He'll answer that question next. And also in this next clip, we'll learn about Novalik's unique investor base. Let's listen. Actually, it was not a big deal for me to change from a 200 co people company into, into a, let's say, 10 plus uh, people company. It was all about the fast, being fascinated about the uh, opportunity of the technology. It was after having talked to, to leading key opinion leaders in, in the eye care arena, 
specialists on corneal disease, really leading people in the in Europe at the first time in Germany, uh, Eye Clinic of Cologne, etc. Um, it was very clear to me that's really an opportunity. And um, if you are, once you are fascinated, um, then, then you usually at least. When I talk about myself, I, I, I don't, I don't um, look at the size of a company. I look, I look uh, at the opportunity. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned you raised money in, in 2007. My, my pitch book uh, profile doesn't identify who those investors were. Can you give us a hint as to who some of those investors were like? Who, what sure. were those investors like? And yeah. what was that process like of raising that, that first round of capital? Yeah, that, I mean that's uh, now, now. Now I think back, that was actually a very thrilling time. <laughs> so, so after having, I mean, the one thing is to have to have the idea. The other thing is how to get the money. Yeah? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um, uh, actually, in Germany, we are, we were lucky, or in that region where I grew up and where all those companies are located. I'm talking about the southwest of Germany, so Heidelberg bigger area of Heidelberg, let's let's say. Um, Dietmar Hopp is living there. So Dietmar Hopp is one of uh, the co-founders of the big software company um, SAP. And uh, he's uh, one of the few really enthusiastic um, life science investors in Germany. Uh, you know the, the venture capital or the private equity culture in, in Europe or particularly in Germany is, is very much different to the US culture. So people are much more reluctant to invest in, into risky pharmaceutical approaches. But mm -hmm. um, Dietmar Hobb is very advanced in that respect. So he, he's really an entrepreneur and uh, he has invested at that point in time in around about 16 um, life science companies. And uh, he decided, or his consultants decided, okay, after I have presented my business plan to Sam, um, that's really an opportunity where we are interested in to invest. Um, the business plan, however, at that point in time, contained much more than just eye care. So the technology can provide much more than just um, ophthalmology opportunities, for example, dermatology could be served or can be served with that technology as well. And he realized that. So I presented uh, in front of uh, uh, his consultants and later to him personally. And he said, yes, I, I, I will go for that. I'm, I'm convinced that's, um, that could be really um, a big thing for patients and for me as an investor as well. And he's, and I want to get back into sort of the process of growing Nova League, but uh He's continued to invest in your company. You raised a round yes. of capital in, uh, in Abs last year. Absolutely. It was a very large one. And when you raised uh, $53 million, were, yeah. were they the primary investor or have you brought other investors in as well? Yeah. So since um, today, um, Divini, so Divini is, is his in investment company is called Divini. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's our sole investor. And uh, uh, the sum of capital he has uh, injected into Novalik until today is uh, actually 115 million US dollars. So a very reliable and dedicated investor. And 
we are really happy about that. You're one lucky entrepreneur. We, we, are, we are very <laughs> grateful. I can tell you uh, we are very grateful for that um, because particular, um, uh, uh, as I already mentioned, particular if we are talking about Europe or Germany, uh, the investment culture in that respect is usually much more risk averse. For those interested in learning more about Novalix Investor, go to davini.de. That's D-I-E-V-I-N-I dot D-E. We'll have a link on our podcast webpage. Next, we'll take a look at what Novalix has been doing with all that money. But first, quick break. We mentioned up at the top that OIS at ASCRS is happening on May 2nd in San Diego, but it's not too early to start thinking about OIS at ASRS. That's going to happen on July 25th in Chicago. If you want to save $200 off the registration fee for OIS at ASRS, you'll need to register before April 25th. If you know you're attending both OIS at ASCRS and OIS at ASRS, see, I did it, consider one of our double play deals. You'll save 20% off the combined registration fee. Go to OIS.net for more information. And while you're there, if you know you're going to OIS at AAO, you might want to consider the triple play. So we know Novalik has raised over $100 million from Davini. What has Novalik done with all of that money? Let's find out from Bernard. So bring us up to date on uh, on Novalik, where we are today. Uh, let's talk about uh, about. ISOL and what it's evolved into. You've got two products now that you're testing in clinical trials, Cyclosol yeah. and Novo3. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, we have conducted uh, last year two uh, huge clinical studies uh, in the United States um, for the treatment of tri-disease. So one study um, is called um, C-Case, um, the product. Um, the API, which we are using for that, uh, we, which we have used for that study, um, is called NOF03. Uh, that's an, an ISOL API for the treatment of evaporative tri disease. It was a phase two study, a proof of concept study. And the other trial uh, was called uh, the ESSENCE trial for our very advanced and unique uh, cyclosporin formulation. Uh, the product is called Cyclosol. That was uh, even a 2B um, phase 3 trial, a pivotal trial as well, conducted in the United States with more than both studies were running basically in parallel. And um, we presented the data last year in Chicago um, at um, OIS. Uh, Christian, our CEO, did that, and um, the, uh, both studies um, were above 300 patients included. Um, the ESSENCE trial is primarily, um, the cyclosol is primarily um, intended to treat um, aqueous deficiency tri patients with uh, an inflammatory component, whereas, as I said already, NOFO3 the CK trial um, was for patients with evaporative dry disease and the evaporative dry disease chunk of the market or of the patients who are suffering is by far the bigger one. So according um, scientific data and uh, KOLs we, we have listened to, um, 75% of uh, all trial patients are actually suffering 
evaporative dry disease. And the rest, so roughly 25%, are more on the aqueous deficiency inflammatory side. And the beauty of uh, these two trials is, is, is the following. Um, obviously, the data we have generated is actually stellar. It's, it's, it's just when we, we, you know, I mean, you are, you are around in the space for a long time as, as I am as well. So try, uh, studies are really a challenging in terms of hitting signs and symptoms. Sure. <laughs> but um, these two trials um, provided actually very convincing data. And um, yeah, so we believe, and that's what we are telling to the community with those two products, uh, one coming to treat evaporative dry disease, one mm -hmm. coming to treat aqueous deficiency disease. We have really now for the first time the opportunity to treat the main two root causes of dry disease, or how we say in short, really to break the vicious circle of dry disease. So that's our strong conviction. Um, so it's a kind of, yeah, one can even say it's a kind of rethinking dry disease treatment, yeah, because the, to treat the two main root causes, so if, if you look into pipelines of, of um, other companies, which are very innovative as well, but most of them, if not all, are basically going much more for aqueous deficiency dry disease. So mm -hmm. if there is just a few, um, basically just from the medical device space, are uh, treatment options available for evaporative dry disease. That's interesting to understand. Well, Novali clearly is making great progress, but it's been a long road. I asked Bernard if Novalik is where he thought it would be when he started the company 15 years ago. Here again, Bernard points out that his initial course didn't point to ophthalmology, but that's where he certainly ended up. That's a, a very, very fair question and interesting to understand as well, or important to understand. So at the, in the first years, we were not just focusing on eye care. As I said, the technology um, provides much more um, opportunities than uh, uh, or is not limited to eye care. So I mentioned mm -hmm. derma. The main focus um, at the, in the early years, so 2005, 2006, 2007, was even not eye care. So there was an opportunity around, still is actually, for um, utilizing the technology to treat um, for pulmonary drug delivery. Yeah. Oh, yeah, even so for, for aerosols, um, for sprays to treat um, lung diseases. Then derma was an aspect and uh, even organ preservation because the technology is actually able to deliver oxygen as well, not just drugs, but even oxygen. So there was wow. a very interesting approach. We, we, we actually generated a bunch of uh, uh, scientific publications on that in, in the years two, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, on organ preservation, on derma, on pulmonary tract delivery. And then we shifted, uh, aligned with the investor, um, to, uh, to the eye care um, uh, arena because we realized the best fit is really um, to go for eye drops because there are so many um, benefits you get out of that small droplet, preservative-free, extreme 
threading and wettability capability on a corneal surface. A terrific low side effect rate. You get basically rid of burning sensations, what is really a problem still today, particularly in dry disease formulations. I mean, if you, if you check um, the literature, we are talking about side effect rates in terms of installation side irritation of let's say between 15 and 25 percent so a lot of patients jump out of the treatment because just of that so that's another um, nice feature of the technology that you really get almost rid uh, uh, of of side effects so um, and of course um, in the pharmaceutical industry people are aware more and more most of the really relevant trucks, APIs, are so-called poorly soluble trucks, poorly soluble in water, because they are highly lipophilic. Mm-hmm. As our technology, however, the ISOL technology, has a lipophilic component. So the, the molecule, if you look at the molecule, um, uh, it's really able the technology to dissolve or to suspend highly lipophilic drugs without adding irritating excipients. Because you might come up now with the question, okay, but the other um, companies are successful with water-based items. Yes, that's true, Tom, but they have to add excipients to keep a lipophilic or poorly soluble truck into the water-based system. Because imagine you like to combine an olive oil drop with water. That does not work. So if you really like to combine a lipophilic component with water, you have to add surfactants, emulgators, tensides to make the whole thing a homogeneous and long-term stable eye drop. So that works. But you pay a price for that, and the price are usually usually um, uh, kind of irritating side effects. So no one else is really pursuing a, a non-water based no. drop. No, no. no definitely. So, your Novalik is in this respect with uh, the ISOL technology, the only company globally, though that's not limited to the United States. Uh, globally, uh, which is providing uh, such kind of technology, it's really unique. So how does that, how is that received by the community? It's, it's great to be, to have a, an area like this all to yourself, uh, but does it, do you, do you, does anyone raise concerns or doubts because there's not someone else trying it and they, they're wondering, well, where's that validation that someone else is trying to come up with an alternative? Yeah, that, that's a great question, actually. And I or we, Novalik, was faced with that question in the early days very often. But uh, you know how it works. Yeah? First, you provide preclinical data, and people are saying, "Oh, that's nice data, okay." But let's let's see how it will work in in humans. Yeah? Then you have phase one data, and then okay, <laughs> you see, okay, it's in eighteen in eighteen, in 18 patients. It works. At least it is safe. Yeah. Uh, if it works, is another question. But then it starts getting interesting. If you come up with phase two proof of concept data, and that's what we uh, delivered in, in uh, mid of 2016, the, the cyclosol phase two proof of concept trial. And then people really 
start to think about, oh, okay, that might be something really interesting. And now on top of that, as we just talked about it, we have added the C case and the essence trial. And, and, this, and the essence trial is a, is a pivotal 2B phase 3 trial with, with really terrific data. And now um, it's it's hard to, to find um, something or to find arguments saying, oh, I don't believe that does not work because the data is so strong. The safety data, as I said, we have presented data showing a side effect rate of, believe it or not, of 2.5%. That's basically... I never say nothing, but that's very low. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and uh, more, moreover, um, uh, uh, outstanding efficacy data as well. Yeah. Because the droplet, the small droplet, uh, uh, due to the, to the very small volume causes less or provokes, um, by far less the protecting mechanism of the eye, which is usually provoked by an, a huge eye drop, so resulting or translating into rapid blinking reflex and into a high tear secretion, which you don't like to have when you apply an eye drop because you like to have the truck stays in or on the uh, ocular surface. And that's a well-known problem for the big droplets, which are coming out of the physics of water. Yeah? It's just because of the high surface tension of water. so the droplet is big, it's 40 to 50 microliters, whereas our droplet is 10 to 12 microliters. So if you check the literature, uh, the ocular uh, drug delivery literature, oh, basically all authors are complaining and saying, unfortunately, just 5 to 10% of the applied drug ends up finally in the, in the ocular tissue, because the other, um, the other part is just washed out or trained away uh, via the lacrimal duct. So the longer the eye drop stays into the eye, the more truck finally is absorbed. And that translate, and that's what we have shown in the trials as well, not just in the phase three trial, as well in the phase two trial before, that translate into a better uh, efficacy and to be more concrete in our cyclosorin uh, trial, uh, it translated into a significant earlier onset of action already after two to four weeks. Um, um, the onset of action in terms of uh, corneal staining, fluorescein corneal staining was uh, significant um, uh, uh, better than the control. So that's very new because we know from other cyclists points um, that the onset of action is after three, four, five, even th six months. So the patient have to wait, uh, uh, imagine that uh, uh, four, five, six months until something happens, uh, un until some relief sets in. So mm -hmm. that's really um, very, very um, uh, promising. So we've covered Nova League's founding, its funding, its development of uh, two really interesting products. Now it's looking at commercialization. So to prepare itself for that, Novalik has opened up a subsidiary within the U.S. For now, it's now living in Boston with an office in Cambridge, right in the thick of the pharma world. He says the temperatures are a little colder than Heidelberg, but overall he sees a huge upside for Novalik. 
that was actually a very smart uh, move, I think, from the, from our investor and from the executive management to decide to go to the United States, um, to the biggest farmer uh, market of the world, um, where really the most interesting strategic investors and even uh, key opinion leaders in in the in the ophthalmic space are, are located. Um, that was, uh, I think, a very important company as we are now about to commercialize our late stage assets. Yeah, so we are not going to set up a sales force or a marketing force. We are uh, right now about to commercialize uh, those two late stage assets for tri-IDCs. Um, that's now the right time for that and we will use um, the, the, uh, the cash flow coming out of that. Um, to to progress our other early stage um, uh, pipeline assets, which are highly interesting, um, uh, to progress them further. Fantastic. And and final final question, actually, and I forgot to ask when when we spoke at one OAS, you you had stepped aside as CEO. Christian's now CEO. Christian Buski. Yeah. Um, you're chief innovation officer. I now see you're also president. Is that a new addition to your title, or have you been so I'm, CIO and president? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, after handing over the CEO role to Christian Roski, end of 2016, um, I changed into the role of chief innovation officer. And then, when the opportunity came up um, to set up uh, our Cambridge office. Uh, I was very uh, happy to get the offer to to take the role here as a president. So now the job ah. title is President of Novalik Inc. here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Ah, I got you. All right. That makes perfect sense. Well, it's been great. I'm glad we had a chance to uh, really sit down and, and go through the Novalik story. Thank you yeah. for joining us. It was fan fantastic interview as always. Thanks a lot, Tom. It was my pleasure. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks for listening to the OIS podcast. Please do not forget to help us out by telling others what you heard here today or will hear next week or heard last week. Tell folks about the OIS podcast. Share us on social media. Do what you can to spread the word. You can also subscribe to the podcast. That would be a big help. Also, feel free to reach out to me. I am on LinkedIn. I've never mentioned LinkedIn before, but you can certainly find me there. Uh, some podcast listeners have and uh, very, very happy to connect with them. Find me on Twitter, I am at MedTechTom, or email me directly at Tom at Healthogy.com. That's the word health, followed by the letters EGY.com. Healthogy is the producer of this podcast and the OIS events, as well as many, many other great podcasts and conferences. So go to Healthogy.com to check those out. Finally, do not forget to register for, to attend the upcoming OIS at ASCRS. The OIS team would love to see you on May 2nd in San Diego.